Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Are you, or is someone you know, kind of wary about getting on board an airplane? A couple of stiff drinks doesn't really help to overcome a fear of flying, so what does it take? What I've got is an active pilot from Alaska Airlines who directs a clinic called the Fear of Flying Clinic, and his name is Steve Hutchison, and he's here to talk to us about the fear of flying. Steve, thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Rick. Yeah, nice to have you here. Tell me, what is exactly the fear of flying? It's a a combination of several different phobias. It can be fear of heights. For a lot of us, it's fear of falling that we develop very early in our childhood. For other people, it uh, can be involved with claustrophobia or the fear of reaching their destination. Perhaps it's a destination they don't really want to get to, such as an emotional event, perhaps a memorial service for a friend or... uh, Sort of a this is kind of a psychological uh, challenge people have. You can't just write it off and say, "Well, get in there and deal with it." I mean, people really are terrorized by this. Some people put off flying for years because they can't uh, commit to making a change in their behavior. Are there still people that that you encounter that haven't flown because they're afraid to get in an airplane? Yeah, in our last class, we had a man who hadn't flown for 23 years, and. Uh, Oh. We got him going again, which is very, very satisfying for us. I bet. How prevalent is this? How many people are f- afraid enough to fly not to get on an airplane? Boeing did a study. They said about 11% of their um, population uh, estimate, which would be over 25 million Americans, are anxious about flying. And some people fly anyway with white knuckles or a couple of drinks, which doesn't help. But uh, other people avoid it completely and just quit flying. Wow. And there are clinics, like the one that you run, that actually effectively deal with this. Right. We've had uh, some sponsored by the airlines. Ours is a nonprofit organization, and we've been in business for 28 years, and and about 1,500 people have been through our classes. Do you get some people that take your class and they're still afraid to fly? Very much so. Yeah, I, I wish I could give them a golden key and fix everything, but like anything else, it's a process, and uh, the more they fly, the easier it becomes. Right. So we get them started. How do you get started? What's the incremental steps? What would be a halfway there kind of? Well, for some people, it's information. They need the information from our volunteers, the pilots, the flight attendants, the mechanics, air traffic controllers. For other, it's the group experience, finding out they're not the only one that's afraid to fly. We have a psychologist that helps us uh, mm-hmm. work with our self-talk. Are people afraid of, speci- like, um, turbulence, clouds, rain? Do you, do you survey them and find out what's the deal? You bet. We, uh, we address the clinic to their individual questions okay. especially. I'm afraid of clouds. I don't get it. How, how, I just, I'm petrified to fly through clouds. Help me. Sure. The, the uh, fear of being uh, unable to visually acquire your surroundings. So you're inside a cloud. It's like a very thick fog. Uh, the pilot knows where he's going. He's guided by his instruments. But for you and me back in the cabin, we really don't have any outside reference to relate to. And so we start feeling anxious that uh, maybe somebody's not in control. So there is the issue of control for a lot of our uh, clients in the fear of flying clinic as well. What about fear of congestion of the airways? I mean, there's so many planes up there. It's just a matter of time before two of them are going to, like, crack up. It's a possible uh, thing that could happen. We have new equipment on airliners which uh, prevent us from uh, having collisions. Has there ever been a a collision midair of commercial airlines? That was why the air traffic control system came about, was two commercial airliners collided over the Grand Canyon back in the 50s. In the and, 50s, uh, wow. 
So the air traffic control system became uh, nationwide to prevent that from happening. When was the last time two airplanes collided in midair, uh, resulting in fatalities? Well, in Alaska, uh, this uh, past summer, a helicopter and a small aircraft came together and, and uh, collided. And that would have been an uh, um, oversight on the part of one of those pilots? That's correct. In uh, visual weather, uh, it's see and avoid concept. Anytime you're in the clouds, though, we are separated by either altitude or distance by air traffic control. They keep us apart. You're a pilot, and you can rely on, you, you trust your life to this. You can be flying through a cloud knowing that 2,000 feet above you there might be another plane. And Yeah, that's, that's uh, part of the way the system's built. And, and we base our class on uh, the reliability of the system and the backups that are built into the system that, that help us become more comfortable. Convincing people, in other words, that there are safeguards, that even if a guy is sloppy, that doesn't mean the plane's going to be uh, not checked because it can't get out of the airport without being properly ma maintained and checked. That's really correct. Because I look out there and I see some of these guys and I go, I don't know if I want him in charge of checking the, uh, you know, the pressure on the sure. wheels or something like that. Uh, uh, you know, get me uh, at ease in this, in this respect. Sure. We have... Uh uh, not only a mechanic that looks over the aircraft, but each flight, a pilot walks around the aircraft, looks for things like leaking oil and flat tires, things like that, parts missing. Then we have inspectors who actually look over the uh, work that the mechanic does and has to individually and independently sign off on any maintenance done. And, of course, all that is prescribed by the maintenance manuals, which are guaranteed or federally mandated. It's not just something we can invent every day. Now, I deal with my fear of flying. I don't really, I'm not terrified of flying because I just, I, I deal with it sort of mentally, logically. I, I deal with it with statistics. And I also think about it as a boat. A boat goes on water, and I can't walk on water, but a boat will steer in water, and it can go left or right or ahead or backwards. Now, an airplane is in something that's thinner than water, and there's one more dimension that can go up and down also. But it's the same sort of physics, it seems like. It very much is. It's a fluid, just like water. The air supports the aircraft wing, and the aircraft sits on the wing. The unfortunate part, though, is that the air is invisible, so it doesn't give us that psychological support like the water does for a boat. The boat bounces Okay, so the there's water. that psychological thing. I can see the water. I can splash in the water. You bet. But I can't see and splash in the air. That's correct. It's just not there. Although I can stick my hand out the window when I'm going 60 miles an hour down the freeway, and I can feel that that air has got some sort of substance. Mm -hmm. and, and we do that as kids. We realize how aerodynamics works. But when we sit in a jetliner going 500 miles per hour, we forget about those small lessons we learned back when we were kids. And the other thing I do to deal with my uh, nervousness about flying is, again, I use the statistics. Do you in your clinic use statistics just to try to convince people, debate people, that logically it's got to be safe? Uh, look, at there's been, you know, this incredible safety record. We really do, Rick, but statistics uh, are an intellectual thing, and the fear of flying relates to more to our emotional well-being. So your customers, your patients, they cannot deal with it intellectually. It's an emotional thing and it needs to be dealt with emotionally. That's really correct. They, wow. they commit to making a change in their life and uh, they get on with it by getting in touch with their emotions. Well, here's a man just emailed us, uh, Eric in Missoula, Montana, and he says as part of his routine to stay calm on a plane, he asked the attendant if he can speak briefly with the pilots before takeoff. They oblige on most uh, domestic flights, 
And um, will they do that on international flights, he wonders. Uh, also, are there restrictions on taking uh, prescription medicines on board? What about that? Can you uh, talk to the pilot and kind of just kind of get eye contact with them and, and uh, allay <laughs> your concerns that way? You bet. That's one way we can transfer our trust. We recommend that people, as much as possible, get in touch with the flight crew before the flight. Is that right? So if I'm really afraid and I've got to get down to, to California for some sort of a family get-together and I've never been on a plane, there's a chance I can actually meet the pilot. <laughs> you, you bet. He's doing his checklist. He's doing his pre-flight getting ready. But we love to talk to our passengers. It gets us in touch with them as yeah. well as them in touch with us. Now, what else do you do to keep people help people relax on a flight? Apart from the clinic. Let's just say somebody's getting on an airplane. Flight attendants, they're trained in this. they got nervous people. Uh, how can you let them help you? The first thing is to uh, advise the crew how you feel. Uh, each person has individual feelings. They relate different. Some people like to have an arm around their shoulder and be reassured. Other people don't want to be touched. Uh, so let the flight crew know exactly what you need. Do you need a seat by the window where you can make a nest and be isolated from everybody? Or do you need a seat on the aisle where you can get that feeling of spaciousness and not feel closed in? So there's a thoughtful respect that goes out to people who have this paranoia. Absolutely. And people should be comfortable assuming, sort of figuring that's one of the services the staff will offer them, whether it's um, at the check-in counter or on the plane. Let them know that you're scared to death for this flight. You're going to do it, but you're just going to freak out if you don't get some help, and they'll and they'll take care of you. 99% of the time, you're going to... Very- very empathetic, very understanding person. Sometimes you'll get that busy person or distracted person. They're not quite ready to address your concerns, but you should always ask. If you don't get the answer you like, ask somebody else. Some common concerns. I'm, by the way, I'm talking with Steve Hutchison, who is the director of the Fear of Flying Clinic in, uh, in the Seattle area. And uh, while they offer clinics in the Seattle area, they also have resources around the United States. You can visit their website at fearofflyingclinic.com. Um, Steve, I'm, I'm sure you've heard all of the uh, uh, the things that are causing people to be afraid. Um, birds. What if a plane flies into a bird? Is that does that happen? And and uh, is that a danger? Well, if the bird uh, strikes the aircraft, they'll inspect the airplane after it lands. If the bird happens to go through the engine, it might do some minor damage to the engine. In which case, the pilot can turn the engine off. He can shut it down and protect the rest of that very expensive engine. Sometimes the the only indication we get is the smell of uh, fried chicken inside the airplane. And you're speaking as a, a pi- an right. active pilot from on Alaskan Airlines, so right. you know that this this does happen. And, and sometimes happen. you go, "Wow, we just hit a bird!" But yeah. it's not like uh, you know, grab your air masks and put on your uh, parachute. No, no real immediate danger. It's just normally. boom, we hit a bird. Sometimes, like I say, you turn the engine off to protect it. All right. Why is everybody so paranoid about smoking in the toilets? Well, it sounds like the, they're going to throw you in the jail and throw away the key when you smoke in the toilet. Yeah, in the past, we've had a couple occasions where people actually did throw a cigarette in the trash bin and started a, a fire and loss of life on the aircraft after it landed. Uh, very tragic. And so to avoid that, we put smoke detectors uh, and uh, changed the law so that we are a non-smoker. And that was a f- uh, there was a, a fatality then. It was after you landed. That's correct. Air Canada had the aircraft wow. landed. Nine persons uh, were overcome by smoke before they could get them off. I remember landing one time, and the pilot said, now we start the most dangerous part of this flight, <laughs> getting it into the hangar or something. Well, like driving to the gate is not as dangerous as actually driving home from the airport. It's, yeah, uh, I guess statistically yeah. that would be true. Do you have any concerns, or, or statistically is there any way to think that some airlines are, are like discount airlines would be uh, more dangerous than... Uh, the, the regular airlines or older planes uh, or, uh, you know, is there any, any sort of a, 
way to kind of navigate yourself through the risks and, 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 and fly safer? Actually, uh, we have an overlying system of regulations so that any airline that operates in the United States has to have an approved certificate. As part of that certificate, they have to have flight crew training, standards of maintenance, uh, aircraft that are well-maintained. And uh, if they did not maintain those standards, they would no longer be able to operate under their certificate. As a pilot, Steve Hutchison, you're waiting to get out, and then you're all free, and you're ready to scream down that runway and hope to pull off the ground before the runway ends up so you don't drive into the parking lot or something. And then you got to bank over there, and you get into your flying pattern, and then you just kind of relax for a long time. And then you got to navigate yourself down to that runway without hitting other airplanes and then stop before you run out of uh, pavement. Of that whole process, for you, when are your nerves up? When are, your, um, when are you just really... Uh, tuned in? What is the most exciting for you? What, where do you really have to be engaged? Driving to the airport. I actually relax when I get to the airport. Come on. You're, you're barreling down the, 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 the runway. There's, there's not a bit of stress for you. You know that plane's going to get off the ground. 150 miles an hour. The freeway, I've got it all to myself when I'm in that airplane because the runway is clear. That's interesting. So, And then landing, there's no question that you're going to be able to stop that plane before the end of the runway? The the landing is a challenge because you want to make it smooth for the passengers but make it precise. And so there's always the balance between smoothness and putting it exactly on the center line and getting it stopped on the runway. I'll never forget landing in the old uh, airport in uh, Hong Kong, which is like a pier sticking out in the harbor, you know. Uh, I would imagine some airports are more uh, challenging than others. They are. We have some special airports, but we also have special crew training and aircraft equipment required for those airports, yes. Well, this is great. Now, when you go to this clinic, tell me briefly what your clinic is like. I suppose there's clinics all over the country. Um, How long does it take? What's the cost? Uh, Are you reading books? Are you seeing videos? Are you actually going flying? What's the deal? It's uh, basically uh, two consecutive weekends for us. Uh, we have about 20 to 25 hours of classroom lecture work, questions and answers. Then we take an optional, quote-unquote, graduation flight at the end of the class to practice the skills that we learn during the class, and that includes relaxation techniques as well as uh, knowledge that we've gained during the class. Where do you fly? Usually to Spokane back or Boise and back, one, a city close here in the northwest. Is it on an Alaskan flight? Sure. All right. And you uh, go with them on the flight, and you can say if they're questioning, what was that noise? Why is it shaking? What's that, what's that smoke coming out there for? You bet. In fact, uh, some of our graduates huh. become the experts. And then I after, bet. Uh, and then they're on planes on there going, relax, it's just, it's just smoke. It's no big deal. That's it's just right. dry ice it's up just there. It's condensation coming out of the air conditioning. Because <laughs> that right. freaks me out sometimes. Yes, I see that is. smoke, yeah. and that kind of bugs me. So uh, you got two, two consecutive weekends. Most people can get through it? Yes, we have a really good success rate. About 95% of the people start flying again immediately. Uh, what's it cost for the whole thing? It's $450. And uh, you said it's nonprofit. Uh, why would anybody do this for nonprofit? You know, it is so satisfying, Rick, to see these people walk into the class with such huge fears and then to see them get going again, to, to face that dragon and, and press on and start taking the vacations they really want to take. Boy, airplanes sure make the world our playground, and that's something we can all be thankful for and um, hope that people can overcome their fears of flying. Steve Hutchison from the Fear of Flying Clinic, thank you very much. Thank you, Rick, very much. And happy travels. Well, same to you.